is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, April 28, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Sarah Abbott is working from the ESPN campus in Bristol, and Taylor Schwenk is working from the Schwenk Studios. And typically, Taylor, on Fridays, we get a rant from you, and you've had some epic rants. Uh, the one that uh, really touched people's hearts, I think, was your rant about the Orioles early in the season. But I think you would agree with me that this week you need to defer your rant to one we heard out of Chicago this week. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I, I, I believe I, I love greatness in all aspects of life. It is it, it is always fascinating when someone can you know take their craft or whatever they do and just exceed beyond normal expectations. And as someone who can get a little, little saucy on the podcast, uh, this caller... Uh, from ESPN 1000 in Chicago, uh, talk yelling about the White Sox is uh, something that everyone needs to listen to. And I'm very excited yep. to share it with the listeners today. Yep, and we're going to play it. Yeah, I, after I heard that, I'm like, you know, Taylor is the Scottie Pippen Hall of Famer of rants, but this guy was the Michael Jordan of mm-hmm. rants with what he did the other day. And you'll hear that in its entirety. We're also going to be talking with Rich Hill, the Pittsburgh Pirates, about the Pirates' great start. Paul Hibikides is going to join us for a special appearance, and you'll hear why it's special. Uh, Sarah Langs, Carl Ravitch will also join us. On Thursday, the Yankees played the Rangers. The Yankees had a 3-2 lead, top of the ninth inning, and Jose Trevino tacked on. Trevino drives that in the air to left field and deep. Grossman twisting, turning, watching. Goodbye. Jose Trevino goes yard, his third into the night, a much-needed insurance run, and it's 4-2 Yankees. And that was the final score. That was Ryan Rucco on the Yes Network. Now, a concern for the Yankees in this game, Aaron Judge was taken out. He talked with the reporters about what happened. Uh, just a little grab in the hip area, you know, after that <laughs> that uh, head first dive the other night, you know, just kind of the whole right side has been a little locked up and, you know, it wasn't until, you know, the second to last swing that I had, I kind of felt something grab and, you know, they kind of thought it'd be best just to kind of shut it down and see how we feel after a couple of days and get back in there. Yeah, it sounds like he's going to miss today's game, maybe tomorrow's game. We'll see how that goes for the Yankees. Struggling for offense, this is a a big deal in the short term. The Mets and the Nationals kind of had a crazy game. It's been a difficult series for the Mets. They've been struggling for runs. They're playing the Nationals, a team they should beat up. And so it was absolutely crushing in the top of the eighth inning when this happened. Here's the pitch. Swing and a drive in the air to right center field. It's deep. This one is way back. This ball is going, going, and gone goodbye. There it is. A grand slam home run. The first since 2021 for the Nationals. C.J. Abrams, his second home run of the year, is a grand slam. And the Nationals have taken the lead here at the top of the eighth inning. Five runs across the plate. They have turned this game around. That was Charlie Slows in the Nationals Radio Network. You heard the unhappy crowd at City Field in the top of the eighth inning reacting to that Washington rally. Well, they sounded a lot different in the bottom of the eighth inning when Jeff McNeil did this. Now the pitch. 
Swing and a drive in the air to right field. Pretty deep. Thomas going back. Still going out of the track in front of the fence. Can't get it. It hits the fence. Rolls on the warning track. Alonzo around third. He'll score easily. McNeil digging for third. He slides in well ahead of the throw with a three-base hit. A triple for Jeff McNeil. The Mets are leading by a score of 9-8. to eight. That was Howie Rose on WCBS. The Mets win the game 9-8. to eight. The Orioles are rolling. This is what happened in the top of the seventh inning in Detroit. Anthony crushes this. Deep left field, way back there, and that baby's gone. Anthony Santander, a two-run shot, and Baltimore has exploded for five in the seventh. That from WBAL, the Orioles win 7-4. The Rays and the White Sox, two teams going in completely different directions and the Rays took uh, control of this game in the top of the third. Eighth pitch of the turn from Cease. Swing at a high, towering fly ball to fairly deep right. Colas back toward the track at the wall. It's gone. A solo homer for Brandon Lau. He gets one right back, and the Rays are up 4-1. to one. That From 620 WDAE, a couple of notes. The Mariners' Robbie Ray is out for the entire season after he had flexor Hendon surgery. He lasted just three and a third innings this season uh, in his first start before coming out. Yeah, a, a big blow for the Mariners, a team which has kind of started slowly this year. Guardians coach Carl Willis, great guy, longtime pitching coach, uh, is out of the hospital and he was giving clearance to travel moving forward. Uh, he had been short of breath and feeling lightheaded in the dugout the other day. So this is good news. The Angels and the Athletics. The Angels will win this game 8-7 to seven in the bottom of the eighth inning. Shohei Otani came to the plate in a game that he started on the mound. He had a chance for a cycle. This is what happened. Otani drives one. Right center field. Baseball history coming for Shohei. But it's caught at the wall by Esteuri Ruiz. He just missed. And look, I don't blame Wayne Randazzo at all for saying, you know, baseball history coming, Taylor, because it feels like everything that Otani, like, you know, that could go right has gone right. Yeah, it was. I don't blame him either. I mean, I, I, I was, I wasn't watching, but I, I saw the rumblings. Oh, Shohei Otani could go for the cycle, and uh, I mean, it, it would have been historic. I think someone on the podcast is going to comment on that in an excited manner later on. A tease. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, I think it's just a lot of top spin on that ball. Phillies, Mariners, Phillies playing a lot better. And Matt Strom in this game pitched shutout ball. This is how the Phillies scored their only run in the game. The runner goes, and the pitch is ripped. Right center field, it's down for a hit. And Castellanos, a little hesitation around second, getting to third. Now they're going to wave him to the plate, and the throw is cut off, and Castellanos will score, and Clemens gets into second with a head-first slide. And the Phillies take a 1-0 lead. Score there. Final score was 1-0. And the Pirates played the Dodgers. Pirates are rolling in the bottom of the sixth inning. They took control. Here's the pitch. Fly ball deep to left field. Going back is Thompson. Clear the deck. Cannonball coming. Jojo. He gives the Pirates a 5-2 lead in the sixth. That's his third. That from 93.7, the fan, the final score there is 6-2. There was sad news within the Pirates family yesterday. Dick Grote, a two-sport star and someone who starred in the 1960 World Series, has passed away. 
Taylor, what else you got? Buster, justice for regular season baseball right now. I feel like we're being marginalized by the NFL draft and NBA playoffs. Um, I'm such a baseball guy that I I think it was the other night I was watching Mariners Cardinals for like 40 minutes before I looked up and realized there was NBA on. But if you're watching NBA, the Hoop Collective and the Low Post cranking out new episodes, um, they're doing a great job over there. And Fantasy Focus Football, they're recording an episode probably right as we are speaking this morning, recapping the first round of the NFL draft. So check all of those out wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today. Code baseball. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. All aboard! It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, of course, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. And Carl, this weekend, we're going to be in Houston again. It feels like we should just take up stock in Houston <laughs> hotels. We've been there so much early this season, and we've seen this evolution of the team, uh, you know, struggle a little bit at the outset, but now they're starting to play better. They have two statement series. Uh, what do you make of this uh, this weekend's game? Yeah, both teams are starting to play better. Um, you know, the Astros have have taken some big series here recently. Their pitching seems to be – a little bit more stable. Hunter Brown really seems to have taken sort of the Justin Verlander position and, and run with it to a degree. Yep. He's been dominant, you know, great personality. Um, you know, and they're still waiting on Altuve and Brantley. So there, there's a lot of good about what we're seeing with the Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies are going back to a place like Nick Castellano said, I, I got to exercise some demons there, you know, the final out of the World Series, but playing better. Pitching a little bit better. Got a really good start from a guy like Matt Strom that maybe you didn't expect, and he was outstanding. So I think that both teams are playing better than they were, obviously. And uh, there's a lot for Philadelphia to realize we're at 500 now. We haven't been there. And now here's an opportunity to, to take care of some business we didn't take care of last October and continue you know, this momentum. And a lot of good things have happened. I mean, I think we've seen that whether it's Alec Bohm and Bryson Stott's ability to hit consistently, getting Bryce Harper back, the Astros hopefully getting Alvarez back with Altuve and Brantley. Like, there's a lot of positives, even in a 500 record. There's a lot of positives from the Houston Astros, even though they haven't been the best team in the West 
all season. That indicates there's a good chance we see these two teams again come October. Yep, I completely agree with you. Uh, and, and we're going to use one of these teams to, to launch what I'm going to call panic patience or party. Okay, I'm going to give you those right. three options. I'm going to throw a bunch of teams at you. I'm going to throw some players at you. Panic, of course, speaks for itself. <laughs> and in a little while, we're going to hear from a fan who has clear panic about his favorite team. Uh, patience, in other words, let's wait and see how it goes, or party. And if you choose party by that, uh, it would imply that you're riding the wave, believing in the wave that we're seeing early in the season. We'll start with the Phillies. They're 13 and 13. And Carl, for me, I would say patience. And I actually think there are a lot of good signs with this team. We had our our, uh, Sunday night baseball uh, prep call yesterday. And I mentioned it's amazing how many of the guys that you would refer to as the supporting cast in this team, Bryson Stott, uh, you know, is off to an excellent start. Uh, Nick Castellanos is probably more than that, given how much he pay, he's paid. But you're starting to see signs of him breaking out uh, in their rotation. You know, Matt Strom ha- has been excellent. Craig Kimbrell is pitching well of late. Yeah, really good. So there are a lot of guys sort of around the fringe, around the, you know, the Bryce Harpers, Kyle Schwarbers that are performing really well. I like where this team's at early, even though they're in the same division as the Mets and the Braves. Yeah, it feels like it would would be contradictory to say let's have a party because we're 500. But, I again, this is the team I think um, that I thought was going to win the World Series. I, I still think they're as good a chance as any team to win the World Series. I You know, obviously I love the way the Braves started, but I'm not – I'm throwing a party. I mean, I, I can't go around an infield wow. that's got Bohm at first and Trey Turner in the uh, shortstop position – they have Real Muto. They have Harper. Like they, there are so many great names on this team, and they do everything that a 2023 team needs to do. And they built a bullpen in the offseason, and the bullpen has been lights out here the last two weeks. I mean, they have they have really been the reason this team has won games. Um, I I'm I ain't throwing away any of my uh, any of my party hats or uh, kegs. I'm all in on the Phillies still. At this point, Bryce Harper has not played a game. Right. Trey Turner's start has been okay. Yep. Zach Wheeler struggled at the outset, but you assume he's going to build velocity. Aaron Nola has not pitched well early. So those are your core stars that you really haven't gotten a lot out of, and yet here they are, 13-13. And, 13, and, sh- and Schwarber's been okay, right? Schwarber hasn't been, like, MVP, no. all-star. Home, like, so I, I think there's just so much upside on the Phillies. I completely agree with you. The Pittsburgh Pirates, 18-8. and They take a series from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Pretty impressive. What about the Pirates? You going panic, patience, or party? I I think reality says patience, but screw it. I mean, they they haven't been this this good since we saw them raising the Jolly Roger and people like Dallas Braden out in left field with the Pirates. I'm 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 partying. What what am I going to wait for them to come back to 500 and then have to preach patience? Forget it. We're, we're partying. You know, Keller looks unbelievable. They, they, like, they got past the O'Neill Cruz injury somehow. And, you know, their veteran players, Santana, McCutcheon, have, have really kind of stabilized things there. And, and now some of the young players are just beginning to, to show that, that Ben Charrington and company had a, had a really good plan. So I'm, I'm delighted. And plus, the, the sort of things that they've done – extemporaneously, meaning the, the Maggi brought him up, the crowd was in, it was just a, 
Like that's a seemed to be a smart thing to do. Teams playing well, feel good moment, take advantage of it. Uh, give give uh, Reynolds his his money. So there's there are building blocks for me for the Pirates. They may not win the division. I don't know, but I'm partying. Are you kidding me? We're seven, eight, nine games over five hundred. Why am I going to wait? Especially given where they've been. I, yeah, yeah absolutely. And we're going to be talking with Rich Hill in a moment yeah. about that team and about Andrew McCutcheon and the leadership and the whole thing. And it was very interesting. You mentioned the thing with Drew Maggi the other day. How about that hug with Derek Shelton when he came off the field after he did the postgame interview? It's really cool. And have all the players waiting in the clubhouse for him to come back in to celebrate him again. And I, yeah. I, it says something about where they are together that you see something like that. A lot of times a move like that comes, you know, like we need a PR push. We're, we suck. We right. need something to feel good about. They don't need anything to feel good about. And in the middle of feeling really great about the way they're playing, they do something like that. And obviously the reasons for it we, we recognize weren't the greatest, but in the case of what it meant to Maggi, what it meant to his family, again, it, it, it continues this buoyancy that the Pirates have kind of lived with this season so far. And, you, again, you're taking off the field one of their best players. I mean, tell me you didn't think, like I think I did and many others, when O'Neill Cruz went down, you're like, well, here, here we go again. You know, the Pirates will win 64 games, and that'll be the end of it. Like, that didn't happen, or it hasn't happened, and that's a great sign they have good players, and the pitching's been really good, so it's uh, it's encouraging. But the magic thing, we I keep referring to the Ted Lasso show. It's the same thing. The team is really is really close. It feels like, and the magic moment, who's not been a part of that team but been part of the organization for so long, was another you know highlight of that. The St. Louis Cardinals, ten and sixteen, eight games out of first place already. We're not even at the end of the month of April. Panic, patience, or party. Uh, patience. Um, you know, I, I, my biggest concern about them probably is, is their pitching, uh, their starting pitching. That's, uh, that's a little bit of a concern for me. So I, I'll go with patience because I think the position players are really good. Um, I don't have any doubt about that. I think you got a new catcher in there and, and Contreras, and I don't mean new as far as rookie, but new with the organization. There's going to be some growing pains between pitching staff Contreras, once we remove a stabilizer like Molina, but Goldschmidt, Arenado, the, the young players who, who maybe need to kind of become more consistent. And there's a lot of the same players on that team, but I, I'm preaching patience. I think it's, you know, we've seen them win World Series, you know, entering as a wild card. I, I just, uh, the Cardinals always seem to be good. And I don't sense that this season – is the year they're going to be bad. But I, I am concerned about their pitching, their starting pitching in particular. I'm going to go panic on the Cardinals because that's what it feels like the front office is doing. Like, to me, if you're going to start the year with Jordan Walker in the big leagues, you right. are committing yeah. to, hey, you know what? We, we're going to start this guy's service time clock because we believe in him and we believe that if he struggles early <clears> in his career, he's going to weather that and he's going to move forward. Guy starts off his career, gets hit in every game for two weeks, and then we start hearing, well, he doesn't hit the ball in the air enough. Well, you know what? He, he, he still has been – that's who he's been in the past. He's never been a big home run hitter. I think everybody anticipates that eventually that he'll get to that. But we knew all that about Jordan Walker coming in. And we knew, you know, a guy 20 years old, first month in the big leagues, 
that he probably was going to have veteran pitchers adjust to him and he was going to have to make adjustments. What this feels like to me is that the team's not playing well and they're trying to figure out how to shuffle the the chairs on the Titanic early in the season. And you know what? It's just easier to move a young player than it is an older guy. And I don't get it. Like either if you were going to start the year with Jordan Walker in the big leagues, you were going to commit to him for a good long time. And instead they're sending him down to the minor leagues. I don't get it. Yeah. And I, and I would say that given the Cardinals and some of the star players they have there, Jordan Walker shouldn't be looked on to be the guy that kind of right. carries this group. I mean, if you were going to have eight, patience, Carl. I know, that, that's, eight. That, that's my point. If he shouldn't be the guy that we're going to zero in on and be like, well, we got to re- replace that person because he's the three hitter. He's the two hitter. You know, that's, that's not the case. So I, I hear you. Uh, we all, you know, we all got a chance to, to see with him and interact with Jordan during spring training. He's a hell of a kid. He's got all sorts of talent. Um, yeah, I, but how many times we've seen players come up, get sent down. They, they work on some things. They, they realize like, I, you know what? I don't belong here down here. I do belong up there. Maybe there's some mechanical things he can do to, but he knows, he knows where he belongs and, uh, let's, let's hope he gets called back up and they do well. But to your point, he's not the guy that you should be looking at on that team to say, well, if he's not producing, we're in trouble. I also think that they are in a situation now where when you and I have, have talked uh, a lot the last two years about this great volume of position player prospects that they have, right. you know what? They have to go and find a deal in which they begin to turn over some of those resources and use some of those guys maybe to go overpay for a young starting pitcher, mm-hmm. not only to help the rotation, but if you continue to handle these guys in this way, Tyler O'Neill, et cetera, you're going to lose value in that group. Like they, it feels like they're, you know, going day to day. Well, let's go with this guy because he had a good day yesterday. And then you put, you know, a Tyler O'Neill on the bench. You got, you got to be more aggressive than that. I think, I don't think you can just hold on to eight guys for three spots uh, and expect that you're going to have something necessarily great come out of that because you're hemorrhaging value every day. You don't make choices. I would agree. I mean, you know, there is there is such thing as having too much of the same thing when none of them are are really allowed to get a footing and excel. Yep. And uh, you look at certain teams, and you you're looking, and you're like, boy, they they have like a lot of the same player, and that's that's versatility, that's offensive upside, you know, that's some speed, there's athleticism, uh, there's youth, but there's a whole there's a whole group of them, and. And ideally, you'd like to have some of those separators. And that, that's hard to do when, as you said, you know, you're kind of moving them between playing and sitting. Sitting and playing. Very hard in this game to get consistency. You have, as everybody knows, that's why we have the minor leagues. We've got to get guys consistent playing, consistent at bats, and see what can happen. Panic, patience, or party, Ronald Acuna Jr. So far this year, Carl, batting 352. But these are the numbers that really jump out to me. 16 walks. 17 strikeouts, nine doubles, four homers, 13 steals. This is the best case scenario for me. I'm partying if I'm, I'm the Braves, uh, seeing what I'm seeing out of Ronald Cooney Jr. I mean, I, I'm not even sure I understand the question. Like, how are we framing him in patience or panic in any way? You, you hurt <laughs> me last week when you sort of said, all right, so what's the most likely, least likely thing to happen? I was worried about 
about his legs and why are we going to get close to 50 steals? Hell, he, he may steal 70 bases the way that he's running around and, and feeling so good about himself. Of course, we're, we're partying. And I think, again, we're, we're, we, we are often reminded when a guy gets hurt and then comes back and it's a little bit slow to come back about how, how darn good he, he is when he's healthy. I mean, he's, he's top five baseball players. And you throw attitude and, and all he's able to do, along with this sort of, I'll, I'll show you all, uh, then he's, you know, he's, he's a party. A, he is a party. When the way he plays, the way he emotes, the way he runs around the bases, hesitates at third base. But, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm partying. I'm, just stay healthy, man. Knock on. I'm sitting here at a wood desk. Just stay healthy. Yeah, I think you understand the question. It's just a device to get us through this conversation. <laughs> Panic patients are party. We get to get a chance to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. I'll throw Shohei Otani that mix. Uh, OPS so far of 878, six homers, six games as a pitcher, 185 ERA, just 11 hits allowed in 34 innings, 46 strikeouts. We'll put him in the same category as Ronald Acuna Jr. But I am going to ask you about Juan Soto. Batting 183 so far, hitting a ton of balls on the ground to the right side. Uh, you know, I'm not a hitting coach, but you can see he is out front so often in his plate appearances. What are you doing? Panic patients or party? No, I'm a little panicked. I, you know, I'm not, I haven't quite got my head around what, what is the issue there? Um, whether it's, it's mental and psychological where he's batting in the order, whether it's having those other superstars on the team, there's just, there's something that's just not clicking. Um, you know, and look, maybe he's a victim of his own success because he was he was so outlandishly good when we first were exposed to him with Washington uh, and in the postseason. You know, all those things would let you think that this guy's going to only ascend to even greater heights, and that that hasn't happened. You know, when they got him last year, when when the Padres picked him up, you're like, well, this is like now it's a World Series team. Like he he is that guy. The antithesis of Jordan Walker, where you're not looking at Jordan Walker to carry you, but yeah, you're, you're not looking at Soto not only to fit in with Machado, Bogarts, and Tatis, you're looking at him to, to be the shining star there. And that has not happened at all. And I don't, I don't think it's a physical thing. I think there's just something going on psychologically, mentally, that's causing him not to be able to, to be the guy. You, you read and hear so many comments of, a reminder, Juan, you are a great hitter. We appreciate you have a great eye. We understand about the patience, but you're so much better when you swing the bat. You know, you don't go to a long drive contest and not get into the uh, position to hit a drive. You, he's not driving the baseball. He's not hitting. He's not, he doesn't feel like he's being aggressive and knows I, I not only own this batter's box, but I own the pitcher, meaning I'm going to hit the pitcher. And he hasn't done that. There's just there's something there's just something a little off there. You know, I'm not jumping to the conclusion of we need to change the the sort of scenery and move him, but there's just something that hasn't clicked with with Soto. And I'm not sure I'm not sure what it is. I don't think Bob Melvin knows exactly what it is. It's, you know, we've been with him before. You talk to him. Yeah, there's just you know there's a little thing, a little something, and they I don't think they can put their finger on it. No, I do think this is that once he finds it, 
he'll take off. It it, it okay. kind of reminds me a little bit. Remember, there were there was a year or two when Bryce Harper would go through these stretches where he, in a similar way, was out front with his swing. Yep. He didn't yep. seem like he was on balance. This is like in year three and four in his career. Uh, I think after he won uh, his first MVP, and yep. uh, once he figured it out, man, he just took off. And I think that's eventually where Soto gets to. But I agree with you, given Soto's importance to the team. Like, they need him to turn this around because the questions in the pitching staff, they need to uh, out-hit some of their pitching issues. Uh, all right, panic, patience, or party, the Chicago White Sox. 7-19. and 19. They've lost eight straight games. Carl, they've got the third-worst run differential in baseball. Athletics being first, the Royals being second. You do not want to be in that group when you're talking about, uh, you know, early in the season. They're already eight games out of first place. What are you doing with the White Sox? I'm, uh, I'm running and hiding. I'm, uh, whatever, is there another level besides panic? You know, I, <laughs> I don't know what that would be. But I, it's uh, when Dylan Cease goes out there and gets just destroyed, that, that's another – it's almost like the anti-pirate conversation we had. Everything is going so well. Then there's these little other small things that remind you, eh, things are really going well. Drew Maggi, that, that's really going well. We just gave Reynolds $100 million. In the case of the White Sox, you know, they're injured. And then here comes like a cease day and we're going to be fine. And that blows up in their face because he gets destroyed by raised batters. Um, as you mentioned, look at the run differential that Tampa has relative to the White Sox. Uh, Look, Rick Hahn came out and said it. Uh, put it all on me. This is not on Pedro Grifol and his staff. This is on me. The, the lineup construct, I think he's acknowledging, you know, maybe I, I miscalculated. I, I didn't go out and get an outfielder, and now we have, you know, versatility, but they're not necessarily outfielders, and some guys are falling down when they're trying to make plays. There's just a, there's a whole bunch of things, and once the ball gets rolling down the hill and injuries like Anderson's present themselves – there's a lot of here we go again feeling in Chicago. And, you know, uh, I, I think that everybody looks at them. I do as they got, geez, they got a lot of talent there. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that they haven't been able to put it together. There's a, there's a lot of talent, but it may not be all fitting together. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of talented pieces, but it's not necessarily a great team. Right. And Loy Jimenez being an example of that, right? He's someone we talked about uh, as, uh, you know, potentially having impact, but it hasn't translated yet. Luis Robert has had tons of injuries. Michael Kopech, you and I had him, uh, you know, on a Sunday yeah. night game last year when he looked like he could have shut down the best lineup in baseball. And he's off to a set, he, right, so far this year, 701 ERA. Lance Lynn, 7.52. It does feel like the vultures are swirling around that organization a little bit. I would say this, when we present that question, panic, patience, or party, Jerry Reinsdorf, more than any, any other owner, is going to have patience. You know, when everyone was uh, criticizing his decision the last two years with Tony La Russa, he sat back and waited because that's, that's how Jerry Reinsdorf runs his team. He's going to sit back. Well, he should, he should sit up. He should, get off, he should get off the sitting back thing. And I mean, if, you, if you're interested in, in winning consistently, then – then you have to get up and recognize it's not, it's not going exactly the way that we thought it was going to go. I mean, uh, look, if the Houston Astros are competing for World Series titles and they're, they're letting go of the guy that put the team together, uh, there's, there's a reason that they're going to be right back there again. You know, at some point you realize 
It's not exactly the way we like it. We're still having success, but not the success I think that we're going to continue to have for years to come. We'll bring Dana Brown in and we'll let Lunau go for whatever reason. I mean, the point was the team was winning. They won a World Series. In this case, the, the patience thing doesn't doesn't if I was a White Sox fan and I'm a fan of all 30 teams, we got a shit. It's not working, you know, not working consistently at all. We're consistently at the bottom of the division. That's a problem. Well, you asked if there was another level beyond panic. You're going to hear it in just a second. <laughs> Listen to this rant uh, by a White Sox fan. It's the best one I've ever heard. Carl, thanks for doing this. All right, guys. See ya. Here's the White Sox fan rant that we've been talking about. This happened on Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. What was interesting, if you watch the, the simulcast of this, uh, as this fan gets going, like Waddle and Sylvie, they recognize greatness as well. And they just kind of sit back from the microphones and they just take it all in. Give a listen. I've been a diehard Chicago White Sox fan for nearly 40 years. I say that with the very express intent of sharing my deep, and undying love for this team. And my call is rooted in heartbreak, not anger. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm angry. But it is a byproduct of a dysfunctional, abusive relationship with the front office and the ownership of the Chicago White Sox. I also want to say I have defended this rebuild. I liked what the team did with the trades. I defended Yasmani in Dallas. I didn't understand the Larusa hire, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I forgave the free agents they let go. I was befuddled by the Benintendi and Clevenger signings, but you know what? I said, I'm going to give them one last shot. And when they canceled Soxfest, like the cowards they are, I knew something was up. But now we know. Obviously, the experiment is over. The vast majority of the prospects have been busts. The product on the field is pathetic. We have exactly two players of excellence on this roster, Dylan Cease and Tim Anderson. Everyone else is nowhere near the kind of player they need to be to make this a winning team. You'd think that would be enough to wake this organization up, but yesterday Kenny Williams had the gall to say that he's not in a good place right now and accountability is not an issue. You're right, he's not in a good place. He's not in a job he should have. Think about all the promises that Rick Hahn made, mired in mediocrity, that he bragged about Romy Gonzalez in spring training, and I'll, I'll trade him if I get the right price. Think about the things Griffol said, come to the park, we're going to kick everyone's butt. They must have been talking about the fans, not the other teams. The entire lineup is batting under 220. The best hitter on the team is Jake Berger. We're a triple-A team. Our right fielders are hitting 180 with a weighted run created plus of 28. I don't even need to tell you about the pitching staff. Katz has got to go. Moncada, T.A., Eloy, Yaz, Joe Kelly. It's week four. They've all already been hurt. Tens of millions of dollars on replacement-level players while stars go elsewhere. We're 11 games under 500. The Bears needed... Six months to get 11 games under 500. We needed three weeks. In in the 15 years of Rick Hahn, we have been a constant experiment that has never panned out. In the 25 years of Kenny Williams, we had exactly one season of excellence with a perfect storm of players. 
that has not once come even close to being the same. I don't want to hear about the strength of schedule in April. But with the money we've spent, the players we have playing 500 ball should be underachieving. Not 11 games under 500. We keep going after players that Rick Hahn liked five years ago. Lance Lynn, over the hill. Yaz, over the hill. Benintendi, he wanted him in the draft six years ago. He's got a .1 war. Clevenger isn't just a clubhouse cancer he, and a disgusting human being. He's a horrendous pitcher. Joe Kelly has been useless. We signed Vince Velasquez. Give me a break. John Jay, Yonder Alonso. Between them, that's $200 million on a bunch of black holes and an ERA of 240. The entire organization is poisoned. The entire way that they go about their business is a failure. Firing Rick isn't enough. Firing Kenny isn't enough. If Chris Guest gets promoted and we have to sit through another 15-year retool rebuild, you're just going to hear from me again in 2038. I don't care if we go on a torrid winning streak in May and June and somehow get back to 500 ball, and then we scooch our way into the postseason and the wild card only to get bounced right away by a team that's actually good. We have no depth in our organization. One injury and we are done. This process isn't working. Our farm system has been in the bottom 10 for 45 years, aside from the one frame of time when they traded all our talent away and graduated them all right up, and then we were the worst again. We, there is one solution. In his final years, Jerry Reinsdorf, who, by the way, wouldn't even have the reputation he has if he hadn't have lucked upon Michael Jordan at three in 1984, has the courage to get rid of the yes-men around him and fire everyone. He bought into the Chicago Bulls and the White Sox for $20 million. He's worth $2 billion now. He needs to use a fraction of that money he made on the backs of Chicago's blue-collar baseball fans and pay, their, pay for a front office to come and rebuild everything. Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams cannot be trusted to rebuild this team again. They need to retire and go off into the sunset and play golf with the millions of dollars they made on their cushy paychecks for a job that they had a longer leash for than any executive in the history of the modern era of baseball. Let someone qualified come in and run this team. At this point, we would need a historic turnaround to even be mildly relevant. Everyone said the AL Central was weak, and it might be in comparison to others, but the Sox aren't better than the Guardians or the Twins. We're not even better than the Royals. And the fact that we're only incrementally better than the Tigers is exactly the kind of indictment on this organization that we need. The build of the lack of success that this roster has is a referendum on what we've already seen in 2006, 2007, 2011, 2013, 2015 and 16, and the excruciating last seven years that only led to this. I mean, Stoney is more worried about Lance Lynn eating a salad (laughs) than the entire organization not knowing how to teach major league prospects how to hit a baseball. All right, Ferno. Ferno, you get an A plus purely on presentation. I mean, like that—that that was presentation. You will will of the year. Right that's there. Will Ferrell <laughs> debating James Carville and just knocking him out with one swing. Right. Listen, with two hundred million dollars, we're the laughing stock in the league, and everyone needs to be gone. I just needed other people in Chicago 
to be on that. that that's the bandwagon we in Chicago need to be on. Ye- the entire front office, ownership, they all need to go. Listen, in, in you need a shower the, right now. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, and thanks very much for the Get call. Scotch, being passionate. Have a cigar yeah. and then take a shower. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Rich Hill is in his 19th season in the majors, pitching for the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team that's one of the great stories in baseball early this year. It's not only that uh, you guys are playing well, Rich, but man, it looks like you're having so much fun. <laughs> does yeah. it, you're you're there, so does it feel like as much fun as what it seems like from the outside? Yeah, it is. First, thanks for having me on, Buster. Uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been a blast. You know, I think since the uh, inception of spring training, uh, coming into the season, you know, the the kind of the theme and the and the point that was being uh, brought across to everybody is it's time to win. Um, you know, the last couple of years have been. Um, you know, learning points at the major league level where you have guys that have been able to take their their lumps, so to speak, and fail at the major league level where you might not necessarily get that in all organizations. But, you know, fortunately, guys were able to do that here here at the major league level in Pittsburgh. Um, but now what you're seeing is that turning point of guys in their growth uh, of major league players being able to learn from those mistakes in the past. And that's really being able to use that reference point that they gained over the course of the last two and a half years and the half year, even though it was a full year is is meaning COVID, but you know, through those failures, now that with that reference point, we get to certain parts of this season and guys understand that, you know, they've been there before and they know exactly what that fork in the road is and which direction they should go in. Um, And a lot of the times, you know, the biggest thing that we've been leaning on uh, for this season is effort, you know, bringing that consistent effort every single day. If you come and watch us play or you watch us on TV, you know, you're seeing pitchers attack the strike zone. You're seeing guys run out uh, ground balls. So hard 90s every single time. Uh, guys going from first to third, guys bunting, guys stealing bases. You know, when you think of the definition of a baseball player, uh, there's a lot of guys that fit that category in this in this locker room, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. And the other thing I'll say is that when, you know, I'm sitting in the dugout or it's not my day to pitch, you know, 26 guys are in the game. And what I mean by that, everybody is involved. Everybody is watching the game. Everybody is helping each other out. And, you know, you have a great mix of personalities 
in this clubhouse, guys that are, you know, young, some guys that are in the middle of their career, guys that are veterans uh, towards the end of their career. And just having that mixture of leadership and experience and youth um, is something that creates a good uh, you know, a uh, solution for winning. So uh, Andrew McCutcheon is one of my favorite players. You yeah. know, he's such a good guy, spent a lot of time with him and he seems to be right in the center of everything that you guys are doing. Um, I mean, say even beyond his performance, obviously, it seems like he's, uh, you know, at the core of what you're talking about. Yeah, no, he is. And I think that, you know, his 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 leadership comes in, in many different ways. Um, you know, one is the is the time and the effort that he puts in every single day and be getting ready to prepare himself for a major league game uh, and the consistency of that work ethic. He, you know, obviously you don't get to play that many years in the big leagues not knowing what you do best. And for him, you know, he certainly uh, is the epitome of that. And where guys can actually learn is seeing that he is consistent in his routine every single day. And that's something that, um, you know, has definitely been kind of that, you know, as on that side, you know, leading by example. But then also, you know, after games like a tough game last night, you know, gathering the team and kind of pointing out a few things and understanding that, uh, you know, it's 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 one game, but we come back the next day and regroup and and get ready to uh, you know perform at our best for the next day for today, and you know that's something that uh, certainly has come through his years of experience. And now guys are, you know, we're all benefiting from it. And as he's one of your favorite players, he's become one of mine as well. So um, you know, fortunate to be able to put on the same uniform with him. So I'm a lot older than you. I covered Tony Gwynn, and I always, you know, thought it was important. Uh, part of the reason why he had an impact in San Diego was because small market team, and yet he was a star, uh, and, and he wanted to be there. Like, he signed contracts. He valued being there. And so when Andrew made the decision to go back to Pittsburgh, for, for a guy of his stature to want to be in Pittsburgh, a team that struggled, you know, with the, the, with the market size, that sort of thing, that's got to have an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about it, because you can see, you know, um, you know, guys like Vince Velasquez, who is now, you know, at a point in his career where you're starting to see that that kind of, uh, you know, turning point in, in you know, ability and, and, and understanding what he does best and how he goes out there on the mound every fifth day and, uh, you know, attacks hitters the way that he wants to. And, and that's a, that's a part of, uh, you know, growth in each and every one of our games. I went through that and, uh, took me a little while to find out, uh, who I was as a pitcher on the mound. But, you know, when you talk about Vince, you talk about Carlos Santana, uh, you talk about Austin Hedges, uh, G-Man Choi. So there are there are guys in every department who are able to, um, you know, talk to the outfielders individually, talk to the infielders, the catchers, uh, you know, the pitchers and and bullpen and, and have, you know, kind of a consistent message throughout uh, the entire locker room. And, and at the end of the day, that's effort and, and catches, you know, like I said before, he's he's uh, one of the one of the cornerstones of that because he understands what it takes on a daily basis and what it means to be in the moment. And that's uh, what he is showing the younger guys and guys that, you know, this is how you lead by example. And this is how you're consistent on a daily basis with that effort. And, um, you know, again, yeah, he could have he could have gone anywhere. But I think the other side of it, too, is 
you know, being able to see where this team has come from the last two and a half, two, three years um, because of the youth movement, uh, guys being able to, again, take their take their failures uh, at the major league level and now have turned that corner and are ready to win. What was the reaction in the clubhouse when word came down that Brian Reynolds uh, is staying and getting this yeah. eight-year contract? Yeah, guys are really excited. I think that's, you know, it's a great um, – deal on both sides in my opinion just from the players perspective uh where you know the the club makes out and also the player makes out and uh when you talk about cornerstones and and guys that are going to be part of the organization that you want to build around for future to come um you know Reynolds is definitely one of those guys in that locker room so uh you know it's it's a great sign for things to come for you know, the Pirates, the city, and, and the fan base. I think they should be extremely excited about this opportunity, um, you know, that they're seeing the commitment from ownership uh, and the dedication to make that move towards winning and bringing back championship teams here to Pittsburgh. That's something that's extremely valuable. You know, this is a great sports town and something that, you know, uh, uh, cities have, but it, you can feel it here in Pittsburgh. And they, they want they want to bring championships back here. Uh, and see the Pirates win. So this is a great step in that direction. So I think you guys have the uh, the coolest home run celebration. You see the Homer Hose in Pittsburgh. You see the Trident in, in yeah. Seattle. I like your guys the best. But is there yeah. any circumstance under which you get to do to, to wield the sword? Yeah, no, they're, they're, I, I don't know. We haven't talked about that yet. And I'm like you throw, a, you throw seven scoreless, you guys, you know, you come out of the game, you can't go to the end of the dugout and do that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, Sheltie on, you know, maybe if I can get in that bat and, you know, pray and hope that <laughs> I, you know, maybe I hit a home run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would right. be good. We got to get something for the pitchers. Yeah, something, right? Yeah. I mean, the hitters can't have all the fun. Yeah. Uh, you saw the the uh, news came out earlier this week from Jeff Passan about the incredible spike in injuries we've seen in the sport. I personally think that, you know, when they talk about possible sources uh, of this, it's mentioned the pitch clock. Uh, uh, some some people are saying it might be the focus on pitch shaping. I, I think it's easy. Like when you were growing up as a, a kid and you were preparing to be a starting pitcher, you were thinking like a marathoner. Now yeah. pitchers are built thinking like sprinters. Yes. And it's yeah. like a car redlining. I, that's just the nature of the, the sport right now. Uh, tell me what your perspective is. Yeah, uh, Buster, I think, you know, when we go to prepare to throw, you know, the quicker we kind of spike that intensity, uh, that's kind of where the uh, reoccurrence of issues are going to happen. And that's just from my, obviously, uh, perspective of experience and not my perspective of schooling or uh, being able to be educated so much on the human body, but understanding that over the course of years and decades that I've been doing this, seeing where certain injuries happen at certain points. And, you know, right now in the game, we're building a lot of guys to be relievers um, because of that intensity and that uh, great chase, as you call it, for velocity. And, you know, what we're seeing is a huge group of guys that are pushing their bodies to the extreme limit. But I think in that, um, you know, extreme limits of the body that, that you get to those endpoints of, of your 
you know, extreme uh, stress on your elbow or your shoulder, uh, you're going to incur injuries at that point because to your what you were saying, it's like you're redlining every time you're going to, uh, you know, throw a baseball. And then with that, you know, the increase in walks are coming because guys, you know, the, the pitchability or the understanding of pitching and what that means, it's not throwing. You know, we're not throwing at the major league level. If we were just throwers, then, you know, that would be something uh, that would be completely different uh, topic. But pitching, you know, the ability to change speeds and be able to uh, throw the timing off of the hitter is what the art form of this, of this uh, you know, position is. And that's something that we're seeing, you know, less and less of right now. At this point, it will go back to the, to the middle. There's no question about that. Guys will say, okay, well, you know, 97 to 100 is your new, you know, 91 to 94 or whatever it was 10 years ago or, you know, consistently a little bit lower average on the velocity. But, you know, we'll start to see guys kind of regress to the mean and understand what pitching is and and how that, you know, actually works. <laughs> yeah, so. I you I wanted to ask you about uh, a conversation that I had with Max Scherzer last yeah. week. Uh, he of course got suspended of uh, the foreign substance, and, and my question to Max, who we talked to him for a long time, but he didn't want to talk on the record. He doesn't see any point in it that where he stands. My question to him was, why is it that Major League Baseball players can't find a, a baseball that everyone can work with, and that way we bypass all of this conversation about foreign substances and how much do you put in the ball and is it yeah. an advantage and and then you know and that way you don't have people who are not experts at what you guys do making these decisions you just hand a baseball out that works for everybody right yeah and i think the other side of it is that we're putting the umpires in an extremely difficult position where you know uh the judge jury and executioner for lack of a better term is is kind of being sought after by you know, where is the uh, kind of line of demarcation? Because, you know, if you use the rosin and you work the rosin and you're able to do that, in Max's case, you're able to, um, you know, uh, get your hand extremely tacky. But is that illegal? Because it shouldn't be when you're talking about what we're given as a tool to, right. be, able to, to be able to get a better grip on the ball. And, you know, I, I fully 100% uh, believe uh, Max and what what he was saying, and I think it's you know again, like I said, it's it's a difficult position that we're putting the umpires in because they have to make a decision and a choice. Um, you know where where it to me it just seems like it's almost you know you, you're you're have you know you're asking yourself this question: Have you ever been wrong in your life? Right, and I think we can all say yes, we have. Right, yeah. so in these in these circumstances in these instances of high stakes poker um you know you 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 have to be 100 120 percent right there's no you know um really dipping your toe in the water and there's no way to judge that right so i think you know in max's case where you know he used the rosin and that's that's it is what it is that's what's been given to us and unfortunately you know at the same time um you know that's something that is how do you how do you kind of gauge that and say oh well that's too much but it's the rosin that you've been using so i don't understand how that's even close to being on the scale of uh 
not kosher, I guess, if you want to say, but I, I would like to see, I know major league baseball is working on a ball. Um, you know, speaking with some officials from, from the major. Can league I, just one, one quick thought. I, I, I will say as an observer of the sport for a lot of years to hear about baseball, major league baseball, when they talk about, well, we're working on a ball. We got a prototype. It reminds me of the Oakland ballpark situation. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many yeah. years have been in hearing about a prototype? Sorry to yeah. interrupt. Go ahead. No, I mean, yeah, well, well, we we might not see it in in you know the next five years, but hopefully we do. And and I think that's an acknowledgement of understanding that there is an issue. And you know, from major leagues, uh, you know, the offices' standpoint, that they know that something is not right, and we need to make it right for the pitchers and make it uh, you know a competitive competitively even balanced field. Yes. Did it go too far in one direction? Of course it did. Um, but now is it, is it go the other direction where pitchers can't get a grip on the ball and you're seeing walks at an all time high this year? Um, you know, you're seeing guys getting hit, uh, from the shoulder up, which to me is now a health and safety issue. Um, possibly the injuries that are increasing throughout the game, you know, where, we see that Major League Baseball is working on a ball uh, to be able to create, you know, a pitcher being able to get his A pitch off every single time. Uh, how are you going to be able to identify that, you know, um, it is it is over the line or or, you know, on the on the other side, I always say the biggest factor is, um, you know, the weather and your environment that's going to dictate your grip just as. You know, when you go to throw a football in the cold air, you can't get the same grip on it as you would, you know, in a July day uh, in the heat. Um, and the same thing for wide receivers. You know, guys are making one-handed grabs that they weren't making in the 90s or the 80s and sure as anything decades before that. Um, and, you know, is that an advantage? Uh, you go to, if you're familiar with hockey, you know, the the sticks now um, right. are very grippy. You almost don't even need... Um, you know, hockey gloves to go out there besides to protect your hands, uh, to grip the stick, um, the flex on the stick, all these things, everything is evolving uh, technology wise. We're, we're talking about roll they're, they're, or the PGA is talking about rolling back the ball uh, in the PGA to be able to, you know, kind of make the golf courses um, uh, kind of be more uh, compatible with, with uh, not having to, you know, they're running out of land, so there's not enough room. Uh, so what are they going to do? They're going to roll the ball back. Um, but anyway, my point is, is that for pitchers, why is it illegal for pitchers to get a grip on the baseball? You know, we're, we're not talking about an advantage. We're talking about getting a grip to be able to consistently throw your A pitch. And I don't see it. I don't see a, a reason that that is uh, a problem because as a hitter, you know, you can use whatever you want, lizard skin, uh, super 77, uh, all these things that I've seen. That's a pine three. Yeah. Pine tar rosin, um, whatever you need to, to be able and it's proven that, you know, if we look now at, at the science, which was done for pitchers because you could quantify everything now, um, you know, the more you can hold on to your bat, you can take a faster swing. So is that an advantage, right? So the better grip you have on the on the on the handle of the bat is that an advantage for the hitter? Now, in my opinion, I would say, you know, whatever. Let let as long as you need to get a grip on it because that's your profession, you should be able to allow you should be allowed to do that. Um, you know, tennis players, 
who can, you know, put whatever they want on the, on the racket to be able to stop the sweat or, you know, get a better grip on the racket because they're sweating so much so profusely that the racket would spin or twist in their, in their hand, a golfer who wears a golf glove. Why do they wear a golf glove? They wear a golf glove. So the club head doesn't spin in their hands and they don't lose the club. Um, but pitchers, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm making sense. I, I don't know if, you totally, yeah, totally. I, I find it mind boggling. You know, as I said on the podcast the other day, uh, it took less time to land a man on the moon than it has to find a baseball. Uh, yeah. And this is central piece of equipment for what you guys do. Well, so, so I, that's, that's what I say. And, you know, I, and I, and this is the one thing that really bothers me because I feel like it's putting hitters against pitchers or pitchers against hitters. And I don't like that. You know, right. we're all in this union together. Right. And we're all in here for the betterment of baseball to be able to grow the game. And it's not to, you know, cheat the game or get an advantage over any other guy. It's just to be able to go out there and get your A pitch off every single time. So if I have a better grip in July in Chicago and, uh, you know, a, a lesser grip in April in Boston because it's freezing cold, how is that, you know, right? Period. And it isn't. You shouldn't, you should, you know, if, if now, is there something that you have to do like a control group for every pitcher to, to go into a laboratory and, and say like, well, this is your, this is your mean, this is where you should be somewhere in these numbers. And this is what you're going to be able to use to be able to stay in those numbers, wherever the, you know, what the environment dictates. I don't know. All right. Last one before you go, tell me what it feels like to be the oldest player in baseball. Oh, uh, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's I, I got to believe there's a point of pride for you. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, you run the race, you're running the race, it's a marathon and you, and you continuously, the, the side that I think that I, you know, especially the last, I don't know, five years or so I've been more and more comfortable with is just helping guys out and, and wanting to get uh, and see guys get the most out of their career. Right. And having the ups and downs that I've had in my career and, and using those, not just to show up every day and be like, Oh, well, this is great. You know, I get to be a major league baseball player for another day, use that to benefit. Um, you know, and what I mean, use that, use the experience that I've gained over the course of my career to, to help other guys in that locker room. Um, and not only our own locker room, you know, other locker rooms as well. If I see guys that are, you know, or hear of guys that are have questions or, you know, struggling with whatever it might be, um, just try to dig a little bit deeper in my own career and my own ups and downs and see if I could have any pieces of advice to, to be able to help those players out. And, um, you know, that's something that I've become more comfortable with, uh, you know, now as, as being the oldest player and in the game, but I also think it's, uh, something, you know, there's a lot of, uh, people that, you know, keep you on the field that have, uh, kept me healthy and, um, but at the same time, you know, the, the work that I put in, um, you know, is, is it, it's definitely something that, like I said, for other guys, um, I always, I always preach on that. And I always point to that as the, as the work calls for, um, you know, you to punch in every single day. So you got to be ready to do it. All right, Rich. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this and congrats on the early part of the season. Yeah. Thank you, Buster. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter-producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing on this Friday? 
I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, we played that epic rant from the White Sox fan uh, that played on ESPN 1000. You, of course, went to college in Chicago. You know that fan base, and you're a passionate fan, although now you're more – Yeah, I think you, you look through it. You have lost that maybe if, if you were this way when you were 10 or 11 or 12 years old, that – that fan that completely overtakes you on behalf of a given team. Yes. Would you agree with that? Like you, it's everything is very even keel observational in terms of how you watch this stuff. Yeah. Okay. So was there a time in your life that you would have complete meltdowns (laughs) if your team lost like that fan did? Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, there, there are a lot over the course uh, of my life before I started not really rooting or anything like that. But I want to say that, I mean, that rant was so well researched and well said. I mean, I understand the passion. The passion is what makes fans so good and such an important part of this game. But when I listened to it, I kept waiting for it to turn really mean or sort of go entirely off or the rambling rails. right or right. some kind of rambling but it was so i mean it was like an outline and he stuck to it which i was very impressed by so i will say when i had that kind of passion over a team i did not have an outline and stick to it i would just totally lose it but I was younger, so it was less about the team construction and more about why are they not winning. Right. So when I was 14 years old, uh, the Dodgers had lost the my favorite team that I rooted for as a kid. They had lost the World Series to the Yankees in 1977. Reggie Jackson, three homers in game six, five homers in that World Series. And then in 1978, they win games one and games two of that World Series. The Dodgers do. And then the Yankees come storming back in part because Reggie Jackson stuck his hip in the way of a throw uh, in in the middle of that series illegally. Uh, He should have been uh, called out. There should have been a ruling that went for the Dodgers. Instead, they melted down at the end. They lost the World Series. I was bawling. I mean, I just 14 years old. I was just beside myself. Did you have a moment when you were just bawling your eyes Mm -hmm. out because your team lost? I mean, I was, I grew up a Mets fan that was well established. And I was at uh, game seven of the 2006 NLCS. So when the Mets lost to the Cardinals, the Cardinals celebrating on the field at Shea Stadium, I was there with my mom and my all time favorite teacher, actually, who came with us. And I would, I mean, I think I cried the whole way back in the car. I don't even know. I cried for a very long time. I was just very upset. And I'm sure I was like, it's not fair. They're not as good. All of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think that that passion is what makes sports so amazing. And every single reporter in this industry had that at some point when they were 10 or 14, as you're saying, because otherwise it wouldn't feel like something worth putting your life towards when you got older. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, wh- when I've been flying recently, I've been rewatching that documentary, the Lakers and the Celtics. And I was very much a Laker fan, mid eighties, 
uh, you know, Larry Bird Celtics. I hated them. And, I, and I've thought about this, man, I've missed that. Like, I, I enjoyed that so much, that passion being all wrapped up in every possession, in every game with a, through a fan's perspective. And, and let's face it, once you, once you lose it to go into this business, you never get it back. So, uh, yeah, it was cool to hear that uh, the White Sox fan the other day. Let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 28. So, Zach Allen had another scoreless start. On Wednesday, he's now up to a 28-inning scoreless streak. Now, if you remember, last year he had a 44 and a third inning scoreless streak, which is the seventh longest in the live ball era. If this streak gets to 30, so two more scoreless innings, he would be just the seventh pitcher since 1970 to have multiple single-season scoreless streaks of at least 30 innings. The other guys to do that, Clayton Kershaw, Cliff Lee, Brandon Webb, Kenny Rogers, Roger Clemens, and Oral Hershiser. Number two. Number two is 22. So last night in the Mets Nationals game, C.J. Abrams hit a go-ahead grand slam. The Mets end up coming back to win the game. But very, very exciting moment for the young, the young player. And I'm thinking, hey, he's 22. I know they've had Soto, they've had Harper. But I do wonder if maybe that's notable, a Grand Slam at 22 years and 206 days old. So I started looking it up and found he was the youngest Nationals player to hit a Grand Slam since Ryan Zimmerman on April 22, 2007 was also 22 years and 206 days old. And then after the game ends, because this part takes a little more manual work, I say, okay, youngest since, but what about was there someone else younger? So it turns out they're tied for the youngest players in National Expo's franchise history to hit a Grand Slam. I just think it's incredible. There's so many dates on the calendar, and they were the exact same age hitting that Grand Slam. Number one. Number one is three. So Shohei Otani, I know he had a rough fourth inning in that game yesterday, but ultimately still battled back, ended up going six innings. He's now allowed three hits or fewer in each of his last 10 starts dating to last season. That's tied for the longest such streak among traditional starters since the mound was moved to its current distance in 1893 with Jacob DeGrom in 2021. And again, I know more runs yesterday than we're used to for him. But even still, he's seeing the game and just three hits. I mean, just incredible. Okay. So tell me, paint the picture for me when it looked like he had a chance for a grand slam and there's a deep fly to center field. Paint the picture for me in terms of what your reaction was building as that ball's headed towards center. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Wayne Randazzo's call was outstanding. I know we all wanted the historic moment. Because it wouldn't have just been that grand slam, but it would have been a cycle. I am very, um, I think we've discussed this on here. I'm, I think cycles are 
a bit overhyped. I'd rather have four extra base hits. Personally, I think the single's a little useless. But a cycle I would have been very excited about is one by a starting pitcher because we've never had a starting pitcher also hit for a cycle in the game that he started. There was one guy back in 1888, Jimmy Bryan, for the Chicago White Stocking. He started a game in center field, hit for the Cyclone pitcher in relief. Very different situation. Also, that game was 21-17, so very different baseball. It would have been amazing if Otani did that. And with the call and everything in the crack of the bat, I mean, it sounded like he got it. I was so excited. Still an amazing, amazing day for him. All right. So uh, uh, Taylor and Sarah don't know about this or probably haven't thought about it. You know, we always try to decide going into every week, you know, are we going to do a podcast on Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Are we going to do it Monday, Tuesday, Friday? And I'm thinking next week that we got to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, in part because your birthday's coming up, right? So on Tuesday morning, can we have you on on your birthday? Absolutely. I would love to. Uh, anyone who's listening to this podcast for a while knows I love my birthday because over the course of the years, we've definitely done one on my birthday just by chance. And I'm sure I mentioned it. So. I would absolutely love to do that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And we got a, a special thing for your birthday uh, that we'll talk about then. Uh, Sarah, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Paul Embikides is, of course, known as the forgotten one. Uh, he has a lot to do with the show Get Up, or at least he did. Uh, because Hembo, you're you're going on leave here. What's that about? I am Buster. So this will be the last time that you hear my voice on this podcast for a little while. My wife is a a production coordinator on First Take. She has been out the last nine months or so ever since we had our twins uh, at the end of August of last year. So as she uh, starts back to work, I am going to cycle on as a stay-at-home dad, which I think will be a much more challenging job than producer and researcher. And uh, that will uh, give me some time at home with the girls mm-hmm. and. I'll be away for a little while uh, starting next week and through a lot of the summer. And so I can assure you the first day I'm back, you'll probably wake up with like three emails from me as you have grown accustomed to over the years. But for now, it's going to be me and the girls watching a lot of baseball. And for the first time in a long time, getting to stay up uh, on weekday evenings to do that. So I am uh, super excited to spend time with them and to see how the other half lives uh, in the evenings for the first time in quite some time. So I don't know if you'll actually come on the podcast, but I absolutely am sure that I'll be hearing from you during the course of the baseball season, because at some point the Phillies are going to go on a losing streak or they'll go on a winning streak yes, and you'll start course. to feel good or bad about your team and you'll need to vent, you know? Of course. And, and you know, how, like you and I have known each other for almost 10 years now. We've talked about every week since then. And it's so hard to like, for me to like turn the spigot off. Like I'm so used to being like, so on top of everything. And so this is going to be like a culture shock to me. I'm going to have some FOMO the next couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden I'll probably drift away into anonymity and you'll be hearing from me only when something awesome or terrible happens to my favorite baseball team. Well, and, and you said, you know, it, more challenging with your kids. No, if you're working with Mike Greenberg, that would be the most challenging, uh, I, I think of any situation for any human being. And your daughters will be a great vacation from that. It really has, Greeny doesn't even know this, but like 
uh, sort of being his sidekick, his right hand man, right, his person. That's a that is that is an enormous challenge that has prepared me for being at home with uh, with twin babies, as it turns out. So who knew I was going to be getting such valuable life skills uh, on get up and on the radio every single day? And also, I think you're going to save yourself from these uh, immediate few months of just having with no NFL games actually happening hearing him wax poetic about Aaron Rodgers every single day before he actually throws a pass. And then the first game when he goes 10 for 30 with two interceptions, Greeny would go crazy. Yes, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat in July and just go, woof, Aaron Rodgers, like having this get up PTSD. So it's going to be very difficult for me to unplug from that guy. That is for sure. All right. Well, we'll try to give you a little relief here by talking about baseball. And let's talk about a guy who uh, is going to be front and center for us on Sunday Night Baseball this week. Jose Abreu this is big signing for the Houston Astros, uh, and he's off to a slow start, Hebo. What do you see in that? Yeah, so a three-year, $59 million deal for a 36-year-old Jose Abreu, I think was widely applauded throughout the industry because there were absolutely no signs of decay in his game at all last season. He had 256 hard-hit balls. That was the second most in the entire league, literally last year. But right now, it's a 554 OPS. It's really, really ugly. You ask why? The why is actually very simple in this case. He can absolutely not turn around velocity, Buster. Here are the numbers. He's played 25 games. He's come to the plate 109 times and seen 210 fastballs. On those 210 fastballs, he's got one extra base hit. One. This is one of the very best fastball hitters in the baseball in all of baseball now going back for several years. From my experience with such things, it is much less likely that Jose Abreu has either forgotten how to hit, lost that much bat speed, or whatever the case may be. Typically, these are the kinds of things that are health-related, something nagging, something we don't know about. I'm not hypothesizing anything because I truly don't know. I don't want to be irresponsible in that regard. But for, the, for this guy to go from being genuinely one of the best hitters, one of the most consistent hitters in the sport, to someone with one extra base hit on fastballs in a month is exceedingly concerning and something that uh, is good on you for flagging this early in the year. So he historically has been a relatively slow uh, starter. Do you buy that, or do you think it is more related to fastball? I think that I definitely buy the fact that he's a historically slow starter, but we're we're talking about enough of a sample size now. And with the data that says this guy does not have the same punch that he did. That one extra base hit that I mentioned is on a 91 mile per hour, Kevin Gaussman sinker that stayed up in the zone. He's gotten to nothing. And if you can consistently be beaten by velocity in baseball right now, I'm not sure what answers you have at the plate considering everyone throws 95. And so that, that is definitely something to monitor here closely. And we'll see what it looks like uh, when you're in person with him over the weekend. All right, the Blue Jays infield is off to a great start. I tweeted out the other day the combined numbers of Matt Chapman and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. What do you make of this group? Yeah, right now those three guys, Buster, are collectively batting 345 with a 980 OPS. That's a third of their lineup. That is three-fourths of their infield. Those guys have 101 hits, 101 hits in 25 games, and combined to produce 4.2 war. I mean, they would have the best infield in baseball if I was playing second base for them. Those guys have been that kind of good. And right now we're operating in an ecosystem in which bat to ball is one of the most important skills that a team can have and a hitter can have. And look, Bo Bichette's always had it. He's on pace to lead the American League in hits for the third straight season. We know Vlad Jr. can hit with his eyes closed, and he's sort of back to what he was two years ago rather than last year. The big revelation, of course, is Matt Chapman, who has long been a sort of glove-first player with a lot of swing and miss in his game. He is the biggest revelation for this lineup. This is a team that a month ago I told you I thought was going to win the American League, and for as good as Tampa has been, I've not seen anything in the last month to really move me off of that point. And if you're going to have an infield this kind of good, even if they can be like 80% this good over the course of a full season, this, they have the chance to be historically great in relation to infields of the past. 
I'm not going to count that out given the track record of these guys and what they've shown through, through one month of the year. Yeah, he put a toe tap into his swing and he focused more on hitting the ball through the middle of the field. It's amazing to see how much Matt Chapman's numbers have changed. I, I definitely did not see that in him based on the progression uh, that we saw the last three years or the regression the last three years. Who's the most underrated player in baseball? The most underrated player in baseball, Buster, I will tell you in one moment. I have to build up the drama here. I'm a television producer after all. So I did the most, the simplest exercise a human being can do, right? This is like the thing that you learn like day three in the research department. I went to baseballreference.com. I did a search. Who has produced the most war, the most value since 2019? Who has produced the most value in baseball over the last five years? This is a very simple exercise. I'll give it to you. A lot of familiar names. Number five is Juan Soto. Number four is Nolan Arenado. Number three is Mookie Betts. Number one is Aaron Judge. And sandwiched between Judge and Betts, is Marcus Simeon, who over the last five years has produced 22.9 wins above replacement. You might ask, well, how in the world can a player be that valuable and so anonymous? Well, the answer is pretty simple in his case. You play every single day. Because war, of course, is a cumulative stat, and it rewards Simeon for his durability. I believe durability to be a skill, and he is as durable as any player in baseball. Over the last five years, over that same period of time, his teams have played 570 games. He has played in 562 of those 570 games. So when you're a plus hitter, you're a plus runner, and you're a plus fielder and play a premium position, well, you wound up vastly outperforming your $175 million contract, and that's exactly what he's on pace to do. You know, I think it was Buck Showalter. We had a conversation with him uh, last weekend, and he was talking about how, uh, you know, there are fewer games played annually in the minor leagues, and he said a lot of the players who are getting the big leagues are not accustomed to playing 162. And to your point, he feels like, look, if you have the capability of doing that, that becomes an, a part of a, an asset within your game that is really valued. Uh, the Boston Red Sox are playing 500. They're actually in fifth place in the American League East, but you actually feel like their signs, they're going to be better. It's very simple why. They, 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 are, they are maintaining pace in a really challenging division, despite my opponent record having played the most difficult schedule in all of baseball. So if you look at the first month of their season, look who they've beaten and you look who they played. That's a resume that really pops right now. And you consider the fact that they're really not getting nearly as much out of their pitching as they hope or expect, but they are getting big time contributions from some of the guys in that lineup, especially Masataka, Masataka Yoshida, who has turned out to be a revelation for them. Uh, that was obviously a very unpopular signing early in the offseason because it was accompanied by them losing Xander Bogarts. But as it turns out, that lineup is pretty good. And honestly, shame on me. Shame on me for saying, look, this team is a lock to finish last in the American League East. Do you know why? Because they're managed by Alex Cora. And generally speaking, Alex Cora gets the most, or at least as much out of his teams as any manager in baseball. When I look at the fact that through month of the season, they have gone through the absolute grinder, a gauntlet, and find themselves in position to strike, that's a really, really good sign for a team that I think over the course of time will pitch a little bit better. Some of those hitters might come down to earth, but on, but on balance, that, that's a team that has a lot of potential improvements to make because I think there are some opportunities to improve before the trade deadline, and they have a manager that gets the absolute most out of their roster every single year. Do not count out the Boston Red Sox. It's an, it, it is a, a, a miracle that they're hovering around 500 given the schedule that they have played. Yeah, you don't know this. It's funny. Uh, you know, just a couple hours ago, I was texting back and forth. Uh, I asked Alex questions about the schedule they face so far this year. <laughs> Total coincidence. Total coincidence. Uh, all right, Brandon Marsh, we're going to have on Sunday Night Baseball. I, I said to our group when we had our Zoom prep call that the interesting thing about the Phillies is so many of the guys we'd be looking at as the quote-unquote supporting cast are playing great. 
And Brandon Marsh is one of those. Yes. So I have been given a very hard time by Phillies fans and from a lot of my buddies for excoriating Dave Dombrowski uh, last August, as you recall, <laughs> for trading Logan Ohapi, who I view as a potential 30 homer backstop for Brandon Marsh, who at that point in his career had not demonstrated really any high level hitting. He played 163 games with the Angels with a 239, 299, 354 slash. That's black, right? And that's a 440 slug across five seasons in the minor leagues. There was no obvious reason to believe that Brandon Marsh could become this. But that's the genius of Dave Dombrowski. He didn't see Brandon Marsh like I did for what he was. He saw Brandon Marsh for what he could be. And so Dave Dombrowski saw something. And Kevin Long, the hitting coach of the Phillies, did something. You can see it clear as day. He's widened out his stance. He's eliminated the toe tap. But most importantly, he's emphasized meeting the ball out front and do damage counts, Buster. Here's the number to put behind that. So with the Angels, Marsh pulled the baseball with about 28% frequency when he was ahead in the count. 1-0. 2-0, 3-0, 2-1, and 3-1. Those are due damage counts, of course, 28%. With the Phillies, he's literally doubled it. He's doing that wow. with 56% frequency. And I'll tell you why that's so important. He's slugging 750 with the Phillies when he pulls the baseball. That's a like Kyle Schwarber territory. So I saw a slapdick. Dave Dombrowski and Kevin Long, they saw a slugger. And I've never in my life <laughs> been happier to be wrong than I am right now. I had a conversation with him in spring training, too, about uh, how he was welcomed into the fold of the Phillies. You know, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, basically meeting him at the door when he arrived to join the team. He said they're sitting and talking with him before he's taking his backpack off. And you could <laughs> feel in that conversation like he really uh, clearly was uh, felt that embrace and, and maybe that's helped him. And before you go, because it's the year of Otani, give me something on Shohei. Well, I mean, Shohei Otani right now is is quite possibly the very best pitcher in all of baseball. It's very, very hard to overstate just the level of dominance and run prevention and velocity and uh, suppression every single night. The strength that he's on right now is ridiculous. He had a 400-foot home run on Wednesday night and shoved against the A's. We're seeing someone do something unbelievable every fifth day and in between pretty remarkable as well what i like to do here is demonstrate over over a long period of time how unbelievable this is because over the last three years it's a batting line equivalent to bryce harper and it's a pitching line equivalent to jacob Degrom. like it's not just that he does both it's that he does both better than practically anybody does either and i understand why some people sort of feel like we we overdo the otani thing but we don't we probably underdo the otani thing because it's not just a novelty anymore this is something that we're seeing that has literally not been done in more than 100 years. And at this point, he's done it longer than, uh, than Babe Ruth did it, right? And so the fact that it's possible in this day and age, considering that college baseball coaches don't let people do this, is something truly remarkable. So as he approaches free agency and as we approach the trade deadline, it is going to be absolutely fascinating to see the conversation surrounding him. I think you and I both believe, that's to put words in your mouth, that he is as good as gone. I think it is the, the GM of the Angels is perhaps the most important person in all of baseball between now and, and, and the end of July, because if he positions his team with a chance, it will change the entire complexion of the last couple months of the baseball season. I will tell you that I was around the Mets last weekend, and they all think it's a fait accompli, or the folks I spoke with think it's a fait accompli that he's going to wind up with the Dodgers next year. Okay. You know? And so okay. it doesn't really matter what Perry does. The question is, can Perry somehow convince the owner, Artie Moreno, that the best idea for the Angels would be if they're not in contention to trade him? Because there's the a thing. lot of folks with other teams who just don't think Artie Moreno will trade him. They he, they they believe that Artie will take the 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 path of least resistance and just wait for Otani to walk away as a free agent so he doesn't get blamed. 
Because the history books then then will equate uh, the two of them with Harry Frazee, who sold Babe Ruth for exactly you know, for, for no 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 net. Like well, you and I know that in, in in the moment, like that might be the right baseball thing to do, but the history books miss a lot of the context. You don't want to be the, known as the person that sold, or in this case, traded Shohei Otani. When a hundred years from now, we have statues of him all over the country. That that's the kind of history we're talking about here with a once in a century player. All right, Hembo. Uh, there's no chance that I will not be speaking or communicating with you uh, sometime between mid-August. But have a great time with your girls. Later, friends. Get out of series. here, Hembo. That's Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Friday. No rant today for me. Yes, there is a rant today. Oh. I'm jumping in here. I know you have the day off with your rant. Uh, and we rightly deferred to the White Sox fan had that tremendous rant. But I got to say, the word yesterday that we heard that the Atlanta Braves home run celebration with that oversized cap mm-hmm. has been cut off, uh, that really bothered me. What happened was that New Era, who, of course, uh, makes all the baseball caps for Major League Baseball, according to the Braves organization, uh, they, something they confirmed to WSB-TV, uh, New Era basically put the kibosh on it because they what? didn't manufacture this particular hat. So when a Braves player has hit an has hit a home run, he puts on the oversized hat. Everyone woohoo in the dugout. They kind of go crazy and it's fun. But because it's not the right brand of hat, Major League Baseball has shut that down. What do you think? That is so weak. I mean, Lame. are they going to go to the Angels and be like, well, that samurai helmet isn't new era, so it's got to get out of the dugout. Get out of here with that. That's friggin' nonsense. It feels silly or and I don't know if it's capable of that. How about new era? Rather than complain, just quietly manufacture something like right. that and give that to the Braves and quietly. You know, they could they could just say, look, use this one for the next one. The players probably wouldn't even notice. It feels like there's some other way to deal with this other than to shut down that Homer hat. I honestly think that's embarrassing for New Era, in my humble opinion. And I think that is horrible marketing, horrible advertising on their part, because they're just ruining the fun of the moment. And like you said, yeah. if they quietly done it, none of us would have known. But now just come on. That's embarrassing. And, you, you know, to even say quietly, like the whole bit is that it's an oversized hat. Slap an oversized new era logo on the side of it right. and you're going to see it all season while they're having fun. What could be a better endorsement and advertisement for your product? Uh, truly, what what a mess. Come on, get it together, new era. Yeah, I, I know. And, and you and I, and I mean, none of us really know if they can actually do that. But there would seem to be some other way to deal with it than just to shut down. And really, you're going to have a big fight over this particular hat. I I, I don't get it. Baseball getting getting in its own way again. People are just trying to have fun. Don't want them to do it. All right. Yeah. Let's go to the tweets here. Jatai Joe, our pal, Jatai Joe 87 writes, and because my Rays have been off to the start they have been, I feel like Taylor's Orioles haven't gotten the appreciation they deserve, quietly building the second best record in the American League. Big shout out to the O's for being so much fun to watch. I agree, Ja. <laughs> they're great okay they're great the, you guys are giving them a tip of the cap let's there do we it go. yeah and i gotta uh i gotta shout out the uh, the orioles group chat that is growing by the day amongst my friends here uh we have a celebrity in there jorge mateo's father 
not really, but uh, someone who claims to be his father is in the tech, the text group. It's been a lot of fun over there. Um, eager to awesome. watch them tonight against the Tigers. Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvotion writes in, do you think Major League Baseball will ever move away from divisions and just go to the best records in the AL and NL are seated top to bottom in the league playoffs? Does that have to be collectively bargained or MLB or can they just decide how the playoffs work? Yeah, well, they, it does have to be collectively bargained. Uh, you know, the whole playoff structure does, uh, you know, it goes through the, it goes through the negotiations in the end, when they get these two expansion teams, you're going to have eight divisions of four teams and we're never going to go back to the full standings, the way you described them. And yes, baseball has done that through the 1968 season. And then they went to divisions in 1969 and they, they're not going back. All right. Uh, Brian Roll at Baseball Brian writes, and I'd like to co-sign what Taylor said about the Yankees being some of the worst. I'm a Yankees fan, and a lot of times I'm embarrassed by them. Michael Preston, who tweeted me a picture of a kangaroo in his front yard, by the way. Michael Preston says, same mate. Uh, Yankees all the <laughs> way. That's an aside. <laughs> casual. But Yankees all the way. But the fan base can be ultra toxic. And uh, I mean, I think every fan base has that toxic side to them. And I, I think just the bigger fan bases, it's more amplified just because there's more of them, honestly. So don't get too bad on Brian and Michael. Well, I would say this, you know, you ask players, uh, you know, visiting players, what are the toughest ballparks to go into? And there's no doubt. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of players will mention Oakland because they're fewer fans and they're more passionate. And so they hear every word that every fan says <laughs> in Oakland. Uh, Opposing players will talk about Yankee fans and feel like it is a different atmosphere. In fact, during the 2017 playoffs, I think it was Carlos Beltran after they lost three straight games in Yankee Stadium, hauled together the Astros and tried to calm the players because he felt like they were so affected by the crowd mm -hmm. in Yankee Stadium and how much they were getting on the Astros. Ugh, Yankees fans are annoying, but I do respect their home field advantage. Um, I hate the, uh, what is that noise that they play um, when someone strikes out? That is so irritating to me. The That's from the Star Wars. Isn't that the, from the Star, you know, one of the descendants of Star Wars movies? I w actually want to say it is a PC Richard and Sons jingle from a commercial. I might oh, be wrong. Oh, when they strike out. I thought you meant the yeah. two strikes sound. Like, -de 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 -de. Oh, no, you know, that's You the horns too. blowing with that, two strikes. That's annoying. But the strikeout noise, it just it irritates me to no end. So nice job. Yeah. Okay. You're well, you're an Orioles fan, too. Let's get the proper context here. Yeah, absolutely. Paul Anderson is our last tweet of the week at... P underscore a underscore Anderson. He writes and I get why owners don't want expansion. Uh, I get why owners want expansion, excuse me, finances, but how can they justify it on field? There aren't enough major league caliber players to stock the existing 30 teams. Where do they think they'll get 52 more or do they not care? I think that they have 52 more within major league baseball, but what's gone on in recent years is some teams are like, we're not trying to get the best players. We're just trying to have no payroll. That's where Oakland is this year. I, I don't think that people would be talking as much about a watered-down product uh, if, if not for the fact that you actually have teams competing for the services of the best players. That's what's terrible. That's what, you know, when you have owners, and we've seen a bunch of them in the last 10, 12 years, basically decide we're just going to cut our payroll to bone. We're not even going to try. I think if you actually had teams trying and being willing to spend – that the product would be much better than it is now. I do think they've got enough talent for 32 teams. Alrighty, there you have it. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games this weekend. And as we discussed uh, with Sarah Langs, we will be back on Tuesday for her birthday. 
And before we go, I just want to talk about Marley Rivera. Uh, I want to say that I have absolutely loved working with Marley, uh, a great teammate. You know, uh, just one example. I remember we were working on, um, she was working for base, doing a baseball tonight before a Sunday night game between the Yankees and the Mets. And she and I were sort of trading notes about this little issue that was going on between the two teams. Uh, you know, the Mets players thought the Yankee players were whistling and tipping pitches. And then uh, Francisco Lindor hit a home run and he was yelling at the Yankees. And then the Yankees were yelling back. Uh, we were able to report it in real time, in part because of Marley's work. And, and she's always is someone since I started you know, getting to know her, started to work with her. She's always been someone who shared. Uh, and I look forward to seeing her again. That's it for today. My thanks to Rich Hill, Sarah, Carl, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.